Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Where to Go. If you haven't listened before, I'm James Atkinson, online brand manager at DKR Witness, and we've actually got a new host with us this afternoon. Uh, so we've given Lucy the, a bit of a break, and instead we've got DKR Witness project editor and proud Scott, Daniel Watt. <laughs> Hello! Thank you for having me. Hello! <laughs> uh, lovely for you to be here. Obviously, digitally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a... in the virtual podcast recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and as, as you might have guessed uh, from uh, Daniel's expertise uh, or accent, uh, today our focus destination is Scotland. So famed for majestic mountains, moody moorlands uh, and tranquil locks, Scotland is an absolute joy for outdoor enthusiasts. But its urban centres offer cutting edge art galleries, lively nightlife and a really flourishing foodie scene. Although Scotland has had a better record than the rest of the UK in terms of the impact of COVID, and certainly there's a lot of space to practice social distancing, um, it's still very much in the recovery phase right now. However, with more Brits looking at staycations this year, Scotland has become many travellers' domestic destination of choice within recent months. So today, we've got some very special guests with an enormous degree of knowledge about all things Scotland. We're talking to Edinburgh-based travel writer and itinerary planner Kay Gillespie, founder of The Chaotic Scot, a Scottish travel blog packed with fun, food and inspiration. Welcome, Kay. Hi. <laughs> and live from the Isle of Rasse, just off the east coast of Skye in the Inner Hebrides, we're joined by Callum Gillies, man of many talents. He's a YouTuber, historian, artist, photographer, and whiskey and gin distiller. Hi, Callum. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Good to have you. Yeah, thanks. That, was, uh, that intro went on a while. I was Kay was asking me earlier um, what it was you do, and I was like, well, I think it does quite a lot of things, actually. <laughs> yeah, I never know I'd answer that. <laughs> Uh, so just so you, you guys know, we're going to explore the past, present and future of travelling in Scotland, understanding what makes it such a unique place to go, uh, but also how coronavirus has impacted Scottish life and how we may be able to visit again in the future. Fingers crossed. So hopefully, yes. without further ado, let's get to it.
So we're going to start by looking at all things Scotland, sort of pre-COVID, but just generally like a kind of love letter to Scotland, really. Um, so sort of starting with UK, uh, what would you mm-hmm. say makes Scotland so unique? For me, and what really strikes me about Scotland is that I feel like it means so much to so many people. And there's over 50 million people worldwide that have claims to Scottish heritage and they kind of have that really deep connection. So for a lot of people, they've grown up hearing stories of Scotland and dreaming of coming one day. So when they do get here, it's, you know, it's a pretty a pretty memorable experience for them. And even some people that I've spoken to that don't have any Scottish heritage, they've told me that they have a feeling of coming home when they've come to Scotland or that they could easily live here. And I think that that really says a lot about a place because I'm sure we've all travelled to many different places, but it's not everywhere that you could say you would call home. Um, so I think Scotland has that special something that kind of pulls people in and makes people fall in love. It really does have quite a profound effect on people. Um, and I, I don't think that necessarily everywhere has has that exact same that exact same kind of pull. I, yeah, because I mean, we were saying earlier sort of... Um it's such a diverse country you've mm-hmm. got kind of pretty big cities really modern cities yep. with like lots of kind of culture going on you've got kind of um lots of like pretty lovely villages in the in the, in the sort of center in the lowlands and then up in the highlands you've got something completely different but I, I mean when I've been to each of them like there's something that's quite cozy and homely almost about it in in, in really different ways it's yeah, uh definitely there's just so much um you know like you say it's it's a small country so that you don't have to drive really long distances for the landscapes to change and for the experiences to change. You know, a lot of people come here mm-hmm. from huge countries like Australia and America and Canada and they could go on a road trip and be driving, you know, on a pretty long stretch and there not be anything, you know, particular points of interest for, for quite a while. Whereas Scotland, you know, you can be in a lively city um, and within two hours the highlands are springing up before you and there's really wild and remote areas. And then a little bit further, you'll find the coast. Um, Caribbean-style beaches, you know, hello, <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> uh, and you can experience all of this and, you know, even just one relatively short trip. Um, when you go on a road trip in Scotland, it's not even just like driving from A to B. There's so many points of interest and beautiful places in between. Um, and I think that is what, what makes Scotland so unique. There's something that, that different people will be drawn to and kind of pulled in by. Definitely. Um, and Kay, as well, you were saying um, on your blog, uh, you were became a tour guide at 22, but mm-hmm. you'd never actually been to the Highlands before. Yeah. Um, which is, is amazing. It must have been, I mean, that must have been an amazing experience to finally go up there and be like, wow. Yeah, it was. It was, it was definitely... Um, it was it was quite a pivotal point in my life actually, um, and it was by by total accident I had applied for a job in the sales office um, mainly because um, the sister company in Europe um, I had really wanted to do some tours with them and you were if you got a job in the office you would get discounts on their tours so I had my eye on the European trips, <laughs> <laughs> so it was I mean quite honestly it was nothing to do with Scotland and I, I went to the interview and. Obviously, because I like to chat, um, they had called me a few days later and said, you know, we, we don't think you're a great fit for the office, but would you like to be a tour guide? And I had said, you know, I, I dismissed it quite quickly and said, you know, there's no way I've never even been to the Highlands. Um, it's not something I've ever thought about. I don't think I've got the confidence to do it. And they took a chance on me and they took me on that training trip. And 
I, I don't I, I just didn't really have any expectations. Um and then as we, we drove up into the Highlands and the landscapes began to change and, and then driving into Glencoe for the first time. I mean it was it was literally, you know, it was it really took my breath away. And yeah, I don't think you ever forget the first time that you see Glencoe. Um Yeah, definitely. That route in particular, it's like the oh, road to yeah. the Highlands, isn't it? Yeah, mm. definitely. It's absolutely stunning. So I think that was um the love affair really started there and because it was Kind of, you know, I hadn't grown up in these places. Um, I was 22. Um, so I can really remember how that felt. Um, and then for the rest of that season, I got to watch other people have that experience for the first time. Um, and all of a sudden it was like because I had found out about this, you know, not secret place. I wanted to tell everyone. Um, so and I, and I was able to do that on my tours, obviously. Um, and then when I uh, when I left my job as a tour guide, I started the blog shortly after. So that became my way of guiding people around Scotland. So and I'll just and it's that that never forgetting how it felt. That's what kind of drives me, um, and that's what what I go out sharing with other people. Amazing, that's great. And Callum, you kind of did the the opposite almost in terms of you uh, you were born and raised in Rasay. Uh, which is just, if I'm right, it's just off Sky, right? Yeah, it's uh, between Sky and mainland Scotland, I always say. So it's like a little sliver of land between the Isle of Sky and, and Scotland. Um, we can actually see the lovely view out of Callum's window as well at the minute, which is pretty incredible. As <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm very lucky today. <laughs> Whereas uh, me and Daniel are here in rain, rainy London. Um, <laughs> but uh, but then you kind of, uh, you, you moved away a bit for like college and uni um, and you met, lived in Orkney for a little bit and then you moved back to Rousset. Um So how did that move back come about? Yeah, I am. Um... I, yeah, I grew up on Rasse. I worked at sea for a long time. I actually worked on the ferries, um, kind of around Scotland, on the mm-hmm. West Coast specifically. And uh, yeah, I always kind of, I, I, people always told me I should be a tour guide because I talk a lot, I guess. <laughs> but um, it, it wasn't until I, uh, yeah, I actually left work. I, I actually uh, I actually broke my hip in a rock climbing accident and I couldn't go back to sea. So I, I moved up to Orkney and I, I got bored. I was looking for some work and I ended up stumbling um, into a not falling, but uh, I kind of just found a job. Uh, I, I am known for that, but uh, I just found a job at this uh, the historical site, uh, a tomb up in Orkney, and I started doing tour guiding. And I, I, it's funny, I I think growing up on Rassi, you know, at the end of the day, most people on Rassi, you know, it's a kind of working class, you know, you're working at sea, you're working on farms and stuff like that. So I, I guess I never really thought of a creative job because I, you know, tour guiding to me is like a creative industries job. You know, you're talking and you're presenting, you're coming up with ideas, all that kind of stuff. You're entertaining too, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to keep people, people's entertainment. Uh, <laughs> I, well, yeah, like I say, I do talk a lot, which, which, which did always helped, you know. I, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, it, it really just, you know, you just kind of fell into it by, by luck. But like what yourself was saying there, Kay, you know, I, I didn't really go in looking for tour guiding or anything. But uh, specifically with Rasse, after I'd been doing some touring up in Orkney, I, I basically got a call from uh, one of the guys who was helping build the distillery here and said, uh, listen, you're from Rasse. You can talk to people. Uh, <laughs> would you Would you come home and, and work here? And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll do that. And um, so I moved back in 2017 and uh, I've been here ever since. So uh, my first full-time job on Rasse is being a tour guide. Before that, it was, you know, working at sea or part-time stuff. You know, there, there aren't that many jobs in the islands. So, uh, yeah, it's been an odd sort of uh, uh, story of getting to to where I am now, I suppose. Um, I actually kind of looked up the story of the distillery on Rasse. Um, 
I think it just it only opened in 2017. Is that right? And um, yeah. And previously, the Arlen was really famous for like illicit stills, which Danielle was kind of explaining to me the other day. Um, <laughs> uh, can you tell yeah. us a bit about like kind of how that is different, like how the how the distillery sort of came to be? Yeah, the the wording we always use on the website is really good. Uh, the first legal distillery on Nile of Rassi, that's that comes up quite a lot in my. It's always good. It's a good bit of marketing speech there as well. But also true, you know. I mean, um, yeah, Rassi is like a lot of places that was very rural and um, very much cut off. You know, for context, I mentioned Rassi is between Sky and the mainland. Um, it's about fourteen miles long. It's about three and a half miles wide. Um, the best way to describe it is it's the exact same size and shape as Manhattan Island um, in New York City, except they. We've got about 1.6 million people. We've got about 160 people that live here. But, uh, you know, you, you go back into the past and um, the population was obviously a lot bigger. You're talking closer to about 2,000 people in the late 1800s. And um, we call them illicit stills now. But back then, they weren't really illegal. They were essentially outlawed when the government started trying to um, moderate and tax a, a lot more distilleries. Um, and what you would find is often little small burns, rivers and streams uh, that would have just been dammed up uh, with a very small copper still. Um, usually a, a little uh, worm tub, which is used for condensing and cooling the spirit, um, and then some casks really to, to put it into. We kind of look at it now, you know, we call it whiskey stills and stuff like that. But back then, it probably wouldn't really have resembled what we would call uh, whiskey now. You know, it might have even looked closer to something like a gin or mm. a botanical spirit in some ways. But uh, there are some rumors, apparently, you know, people would often hang out washing and washing lines and stuff like that to warn the islanders when um like the, the government excise men were coming over <laughs> and all this kind of stuff a lot of very colorful stories but uh, certainly there are um archaeological sites on the island where you can see the rivers have been dammed up and stuff like that so i think that's where they got the idea for the distillery in, in that they thought well it's a great location it's really cool to bring back a new industry to this but it, you know having that sort of history back there in the background um so the the co-founders elster day bill dobby uh, they they came up here in 2016. Uh, they kind of saw this old building where I am now, the original house, Boreal House, and thought, well, let's build a distillery around that. So did our first distillation almost exactly three years ago. Next month, we will have our very first legal Scotch whiskey because, of course, it takes three years to actually age oh, really? it. So um, I'm very busy right now getting all that ready. <laughs> and Kay, you've kind of been almost pretty much everywhere in Scotland by the looks of it. I think we were discussing before that, you, uh, you, that, that there was a couple of places you hadn't been to, but, um, uh, but, um, but is there like kind of um, somewhere that like kind of one place that stands out that maybe people haven't heard of before? If you want to share that with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be her secret Hidden gems in Scotland don't stay that way for very long. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, it's hard because there's there's so many places that I love for different reasons. Um, the Scottish islands are obviously, they're my favourite place on earth. There's nowhere else I would rather be than on an island. Um, I've been to 57 so far um, and people always ask which are my favourites. So um, the Isle of Iona is, is definitely right up there. And I suppose it's well known to people that are in, in the know, um, but there are still... Um, a lot of my readers or clients that I speak to that, that hadn't you know factored it into their itinerary um, probably because it's not super straightforward to get to um, you you take a ferry from Oban over to Mull um, then it's over an hour's drive to another ferry port and then another short ferry crossing um, but the journey is I mean the whole every leg of the journey is stunning um, and 
it's just so worth it when you get there. Um, and kind of like a similar experience to when I saw Glencoe for the first time, there's just when you approach Iona and the, the, the ferry crossing's only about 10 minutes, um, just over a narrow, a narrow sound of water. And uh, when you approach and there's just this bright turquoise water and a row of wee cottages and it's just honestly the most serene and beautiful place I think I've ever been. Uh, and a lot of people speak about a feeling that you get on Iona. Um, I'm not a religious or massively spiritual person, um, but it, it was a, a pilgrimage route for many years because the, the abbey there was established by St Columba in the 6th century. Um, so it's been a, a pilgrimage um, from people all over the world. Um, and people do come for that re- religious and spiritual element and yoga and all of this kind of stuff. But I was kind of unaware of the the feeling that you that you get when you get there before I had gone. And it was when I came back and I was speaking to people and they said, you know, did you feel it? And I was like, yeah, actually, I really, really did. Um, and it was, I almost felt quite emotional when I, when I had to board the ferry and leave again. So, um, and I've kind of made my own little annual pilgrimage every year since, um, not this year, sadly. Um, but it's just, and it's, it's tiny, um, you can visit the abbey. There's there's kind of one the highest point on the island, Dunee. The the views from up there back over to Mull and to the Treshness Isles and to the Isle of Staffa are just amazing. And the beaches are yeah, they're they're those Caribbean style beaches that I was talking about with kind of dark clouds hanging over sometimes. And... <laughs> yeah, that's true. If only we could count on the weather, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I just if people can go. Um, I do recommend, especially if they've got quite a hectic itinerary, um, I say, you know, just go and stay on Iona for a night or two and just recharge and soak up the serenity and the peacefulness. Um, so that's that's definitely my, that's my number one spot. But um, yeah, I've probably got a top 10 islands, but that would come in at number one. <laughs> and Callum, if you, if you had like an, an island you could go to other than let's say uh or you would recommend people to go to have you got one or yeah i mean uh, i'm kind of i'm somewhat similar i haven't actually i need to count how many islands that's a good idea i should i should really keep a list (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i i second iona in a lot of ways i think it's amazing it's such an amazing island and also from a historical point of view i think iona's well obviously has a lot of really historical um elements to it especially the abbey and stuff but uh, i think it's also an important way to to maybe understand that the Scottish islands weren't always the the boondocks. They're, now to us, they're remote, they're out of the way, you know. But historically, Iona was a huge centre point. It was this massive centre of, you know, religious study and research and, and various other things too. And I think you get an idea of that when you when you reach there and you kind of see the the reach the island itself had, you know. Um, the, I, I would say uh, some of my favourite islands I, I found were up in Orkney. I mean, Papa Westry, which is a tiny island off Westry, which is an island off mainland Orkney, which, and of course Orkney is this big archipelago anyway. Um, but it is a, a really incredible. It's about 60, 70 people. The oldest, um, the, the oldest or some of the oldest uh, dwelling structures, houses in Europe are found there. Wow. And um, what you'll find though is just this really interesting small community. And I think I'm always very interested to see how different island communities act and and you know um the kind of cultural stuff that they that you find there um the other thing that's great about the orkney islands is each island is so different i mean they obviously all have such a a rich history but you'll go to say westry or um maybe sandy and you'll find two completely different islands two completely different cultures histories 
Then you'll maybe go to South Ronalds, your Hoy, and you'll find all the vast remains of the World Wars. You know, those huge naval bases up there, uh, big naval fleets, all that kind of stuff too. I mean, special shout out to Flada, which is a tiny island off Rassi. Um, I would say that's probably my favourite island to go visit if I need to if I need to get away from Rassi for a while and go to a smaller <laughs> island, I guess. But that's where my grandfather's from, so he grew up there. Um, it's now abandoned, um, but it had a population of about 60, 70 people. Um, very remote. Uh, very tough life they had there but see when you go up now it's very poignant because it does remind you of course that all these communities are now mm. just gone mm -hmm. you know they're, they're you know they, they don't exist anymore um but you can still see the huge remains you know the farms all the buildings they had up there and stuff so uh yeah i mean it's endless i don't want it to turn into just the the this episode all about islands there's plenty <laughs> of other places there's, in scotland yeah, exactly when you, i always like islands because you go to one island and you've got a boundary then if you do go to glencoe it's amazing but it's like oh god there's every hill i, I want to climb everything <laughs> yeah, i want to see yeah, everything exactly. where you go to an island it's like i can knock this out in a day i can see everything <laughs> Everything, and you can really get a good feeling True. for it. You know, I'm all about efficiency. You know? <laughs> exactly. No, it does. It makes it feel very manageable, doesn't it? There's obviously so many places to go in um, mm -hmm. in Scotland, and but there's kind of like the famous ones that kind of a lot of people will go to and, and do suffer from over tourism. So I'm thinking sort of Loch Lomond and um, and Loch Ness and places like that. Uh, uh, is there a kind of trend in more people like kind of going a bit further out and and finding new places? Um, particularly maybe going to places like Rasay? I think um, there's the, the trends obviously change. Um, Sky has mm -hmm. obviously been a very popular one for years. It kind of it went kind of social media famous and was in all different BuzzFeed articles. And um, it was very busy on Sky. So even just, and I certainly encourage my my itinerary planning clients, even just to go over to Rasay for the day from Sky, which there's probably some people... Uh, originally would not have done they would have you know gone straight up to Portree and up the Trotternish Peninsula and to all the kind of the main places um, and and it's I think people are, are now probably becoming more inclined to take these wee detours um, I even think Lewis and Harris is definitely picking up now as well mm. it's maybe the people that have been to Sky before and are, are coming on another trip um, you're always going to have people that do want to come and go to the same places that they're sisters and cousins and neighbours and pals have been to um they want to go to Inverness yeah. they want to go to Skye they want to see Edinburgh Castle and stuff but um but there are definitely people that that that, that want to avoid the crowds and and go to the more remote corners or they're coming back um for a second or third trip um and they want to have a more local experience so and those are the kind of trips that I really like helping them plan um rather than just following the classic tourist trail yeah, I think I think in some ways Sky suffered from the fact that it's like it's a it's, the, it's a perfect storm in the fact that it's uh, remote and out of the way. There's all these incredible sites that make a perfect photo. It's been featured in so many films and various things too. But also, of course, it's so easily accessible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's probably the it, you know it's it's the most easily accessible island that you will find in Scotland. So it it has kind of suffered, I think, somewhat of a. A, a rush in the past few years as, as people have been coming up and there there was a, a bit of a problem I think as some of the infrastructure maybe couldn't handle that but I, I think I, I sometimes push back against that somewhat because I think there's a lot of um, you, you know opinion oh well 
you know, got too many tourists, there's too much tourism happening in certain areas. And I always think that it's unfair to put the, to put the blame on the tourists. It's, it's, to me, it's the, it's the, the government and, and, and uh, local councils that need to invest in the infrastructure for the tourists that are coming up. It's not their fault that they want to come up and visit. We're, <laughs> we're trying to encourage people coming up, you know. But, but yeah, I think uh, we, we've noticed a lot more people coming over to Rassi in the past three years. I mean, like me personally as well, um, who have uh, really, I think, realized, wow, okay, yeah, this is a 15-minute ferry ride. We can jump on. We can come across. We can leave our car. So we don't, we don't have to take our car over. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of sky is only accessible via, via car or like, you know, bus services and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can kind of come over, see the entire island. It's a little bit quieter. And um, there's more businesses now, like ourselves, uh, Rassi House, the outdoor centre. My, my sister um, has a jewellery shop, uh, the Silver Grasshopper. And there's also the local community stores and stuff like that, too. So I think that's what's quite, we, we're kind of uh, very well positioned in that a lot of people come over. And when they do come over, it's a little bit like Kay said, they kind of realise, OK, we can slow down. We can have a look around the place. We don't have to rush to every location and get the photograph and then and then be away, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I always do say I think a lot a lot of tourists uh, when they come up, I think it's it's about managing expectations. Uh, you should never expect that you're going to find a place abandoned on your own and you can just get your photos there and nobody's going to bother you. The fun of it is that there's people around and you can experience it and and stuff like that as well, you know. And um, you know, Scotland is uh, it, it's maybe quite. It's a small pool, but it's a million miles deep, you know, so everywhere you go, there is something to find. You know, you're never going to regret, I think, driving down a road or going somewhere that's maybe not listed in the the top 10 locations or something like that. So how do you kind of take that into account when you're building an itinerary for someone, Kay? Like what if they, how does the conversation start, for instance, like do people say, I really want to go get lost in Scotland or do people say I want to see these five places and then take me wherever? Um, it's it's a total mix to be honest. Um, so after um, after I'm in, initially approached by email I, I send back quite a detailed questionnaire to really kind of hone in on what it is that people are looking for um, and I, I'll ask them you know what what sort of speed of travel, um, what style, you know are you, you hostels, are you luxury? Um, how what's the minimum you'd like to spend in each place what's the maximum um and I take all that into account and then I give them feedback before I even start and say I'll I'll be quite honest a lot of the time I'll say that's completely unrealistic um (laughs) or I'll say you know based on what you're saying I don't think it's worth you taking a four-hour detour um, from Inverness just to see John O'Groats and drive back down <laughs> um, so <laughs> I, I very much I take the lead from from what the clients want um, I'm never going to um, totally take away from the plan or the dream that they have but as I say I could kind of try and add some Scottish sparkle and give them kind of local advice <laughs> um, and then make um, alternative suggestions if I can whilst obviously taking into account the things that they want you know they, they will want to go and visit some castles and distilleries um, and then I throw in a few wee um, hidden gems or places that you know you probably wouldn't find in the type of articles that we're talking about or even sometimes on Google Maps because Google Maps is not always that reliable in remote places <laughs> but, you know um, so yeah it's it's just I'll, I'll sometimes try and Um, suggest alternatives Um, and sometimes people are quite resistant and you know they do there are things that they want to see and they won't budge and everyone is entitled you know it's their holiday I'm not going to dictate what people should do but I'll certainly give my my suggestions Mm -hmm. on it Um, and and the feedback that I often receive is that you know that they had experiences and visited places that they just would never have found otherwise so and that's I mean that's why I do it it's really rewarding for me when that happens so 
totally imagine. Yeah. yeah. All right. So after we've painted that lovely picture of Scotland, should we should we discuss a little bit about kind of what it's been like in the past weird year? Mm. So we'll move on to that. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about uh, the present day and how Scotland is hopefully starting to recover from the impact of COVID-19. For context, we're recording this in August when Scotland is sort of slowly reopening with visitors starting to return from the rest of Great Britain and possibly from Europe too. Uh, however, the country did experience its first local lockdown in the city of Aberdeen, which saw a spike in cases quite recently. Um, so it's still a bit on a knife edge, like as it is around the world, really. Um, yeah, a bit touch and go. But uh, sort of, Kay, like a... Uh, you're based in Edinburgh and obviously coronavirus first kind of came to Scotland and Great Britain in March. Um, what do you kind of remember about that time? And were you in Edinburgh for the whole of lockdown? Um, so I was actually, um, I had just gone on to my last trip, my last adventure before lockdown um, was to um, Rannoch Station, which was as this remote and beautiful um, little train station in the middle of Rannoch Moor, which is just pure wilderness um and it was it was like a blizzard up there everything was blanketed in snow I stayed in this gorgeous wee glamping hut with floor-to-ceiling glass and just looking out at the sun hitting the snow in the morning and I was very much when I look back at it now I I was very much in a wee bubble um there was murmurs of the lockdown happening um things were kind of starting to kick off a bit but I hadn't realised quite how quickly things were going to change for me. So um, I got back on the train and was back down in Edinburgh on the Saturday. And on the Tuesday, I found out that my mum had come into contact with someone that potentially had the virus. So I had to go into isolation from that day. Um, And a week later, we officially went into lockdown. So I kind of had a head start on everyone else. Um, and, And I had just arrived back from the wilderness and suddenly I was confined to my wee flat in Edinburgh. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, it was a challenging time. Um, And it was only in the coming weeks that I realised, you know, the real impact that it was going to have on on both myself and on tourism and, you know, just, you know, the the wider country and the world, really. Um, Yeah, I I lost my itinerary planning clients. Um, I had a number of campaigns um, booked in this year. It was actually set to be my best year of travel and work yet. Um, And I kind of lost my clients and and then it was just me in the flat. (laughs) So um, it was was quite hard as someone that travels a lot being confined to the city. Um, But I I think a lot of people will probably be able to relate. It, It did give everyone an opportunity to kind of slow down. Um, and it gave me a chance to kind of have a bit of a breather and pursue some other projects, um, including my my Dreaming of Scotland Facebook group, which I launched in April. And it was just, it was as a distraction for myself and for mm. my readers and for anyone else that wanted to join. It was to make people feel closer to Scotland, people that wished that they could be here. Um, we were all sharing our memories of previous trips, but also um, our dreams for future adventures. And the, the the group had a thousand members in the first day, I think, and it's now at over four thousand members, which is great. It's amazing. Yeah, it was brilliant, yeah. and it was just such a nice positive space. Um, I kind of prohibited any chat about the virus, 
So I, I called it the non-sweary C word, um, and people were not allowed. To, <laughs> people were not allowed to use it in the group because I did notice in in other places um, it, it really was the and, and rightly so, um, but it really was the centre of conversation and people you know, quite upset talking about missed trips and mm. lost work. And I just wanted people to have a wee escapism from that. And I think people did appreciate it. So it was all the positive vibes and happy dreams of the future. So um, that was a really positive thing to come out of lockdown for me. So, um, but obviously it was a challenge. It was a kind of a long few months. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely something in in lockdowns around the world about like people you know, it's it's been really heartening to see people's relationships with travel, like um, and how much they love it, how important it is as, as a part of their life, but mm-hmm. how important certain destinations are as well. You're saying that you got like a thousand, uh, uh, you know, uh, members in the in your first day, and I think that kind of that shows like what a kind of you know people were taking a step back and thinking, okay, where do I want to visit next? Like starting to dream again and and looking forward to making the most of it in a way so that's really cool yeah and I guess in in a way as well it's it's opening up that space for a a community you know you're all in your houses on your own or your flats on your own and um here's this space online that all of a sudden you can still I mean I know it's not the same but you can share your inspiration you can share your stories you can look at beautiful photographs and um you know just keep the love of travel alive even though we're all cooped up <laughs> yeah, definitely, and it was, and it it really did bring us all together, and 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 people did regularly comment and say, you know, thank you for taking us on a wee journey to Scotland, or you know, when we when we can't be there, we would, and that, you know, I would share memories from trips that I had done, and and you know, people were saying thank you so much for for taking the time to give us this wee bit of Scotland when when we wish that we were there too. So it, it was really good. Yeah, definitely. Um... Callum, how about life on Rassi when when lockdown hit? What are, what are your memories of that? Yeah, it's, it's strange. I think, you know, I genuinely think in years <laughs> to come, people are going to look back on this as a, a real, like, it's like, where were you when you heard, you know, World War II was <laughs> announced? You know, it's it's a real, I think everyone's kind of got that that moment that they kind of really, they woke up to it. You know, I mean, I, um, I did Christmas up in Orkney and then I came down and I had New Year on Rassi. And uh, on, I think, uh, January 3rd, I went to get a mm. tank of fuel for my car. And then I did not leave Rasse until uh, August 6th there, I think. Just, just Basically, just when I went up to Orkney. You know, I mean, um, we were that was it. The island was closed off. You, mm. you know, no back or forth travel unless, you know, essential things. And from the context of the distillery, you know, we had so much planned this year. We obviously had the hotel. I'm sitting in one of the bedrooms that was meant to be open um, right now. We had all of our new tours set up. Um, we were approaching to the point, of course, where yes. we have our whiskey this year. Um, obviously, all the events. You know, there's so many whiskey uh, uh, events and, and shows and stuff like that throughout the year too. And, and basically, all of that just essentially straight away cancelled, you know. So um, it was very strange from the business point of view. We adapted very well. You know, we um, opened up uh, online sales. Uh, we dispatch and send everything out here from Rassi. So we were perfectly set up to be doing that kind of work. And and um, I, I basically just transitioned to working at home. I'm, I'm really just back in the office as of this week. Uh, but honestly, life on Rassi, um, I'm probably one of the very few people in the world whose life just didn't really change. You know, we, we didn't leave Rassi, <laughs> but, but that's it. You know, uh, I just, you know... Started digging up my garden more to plant more potatoes, <laughs> and I uh, I went out and you know did my photography work and I kind of did my work from home and and it's actually it it made me really appreciate 
um, you know, island life in that way. I've always been very appreciative of of, of living on Rassi, and it's mainly because I think a lot of my interests line up quite well with living on the island. But it made me really appreciate what what we have here in some ways, you know. Um, but also just how you know tenuous it can be. It just shows you, you know. I mean, you think, you know, my my grandfather's ninety two, and and he he couldn't really <laughs> quite believe this idea, you know, of uh, uh, something that had arisen in China and. December was suddenly shutting down our entire island in you know February March you know it, it's just it's it, it really puts things in perspective in some way but um, but yeah very odd on a on a business global scale massive disruption but then locally you know we kind of locked down community got together and we kind of just saw it through um, things are kind of opening up slightly now but it's uh, yeah still still you know we're still slowly moving our way out of it you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, I don't think your grandfather was the only one to be feeling like that. To be honest, Callum, <laughs> exactly. I, think, I think all of us are like, wait, what? <laughs> okay, so we were wanting to talk a little bit about um, there was there was a bit of a fear at the beginning of lockdown, um, from what I understand, and this was this was marked out by the Scottish government actually that that people from Edinburgh and Glasgow and, and the, the larger cities and towns uh, when lockdown hit were going to start spreading out into the highlands and islands and more rural areas. Um, and obviously the infrastructure wasn't necessarily there to support a global pandemic hitting that particular place. Um, did I'm wondering, like, did any of that happen? Um, or, or do you find that people were actually quite happy to just stay put and um, wait out? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly, you know, it is a problem, obviously. Infrastructure is a key thing. Our community Facebook group and stuff like that, you know, Ed for, for Rassi put out a post basically saying like, you know, we don't have the, the greatest uh, connection here to local infrastructure and emergency services and stuff mm. like that and, and, and to be aware. And I think there was a lot of worries at the start and we all saw the news reports, you know, of, um, you know, there was a lot of folks going to rural areas in England, Scotland, Wales, stuff like that at the kind of beginning of lockdown. Um, I think on the whole, certainly, I think most people were pretty sensible, to be honest. I think mm-hmm. most people recognised that they were safest at home and stuff like that. Certainly on Rasse, mm-hmm. we are... Uh, and most islands were very unique and, and lucky in the fact that um, Cal Mac, the ferry operator, basically said, you know, you have to be a resident to come to the island, mm-hmm. um, which meant that we essentially didn't have to worry about it. You know, it, I think it would be more difficult for small places like, you know, Achnasheen and places in Glencoe and stuff like that, um, where, you know, you could just drive up from anywhere. But I think I think on the whole, most people um, were pretty sensible and followed advice. Uh, we're only really just seeing now, mm-hmm. like I say, a lot of uh, even people who have maybe a second home or people who rent out Airbnbs and accommodation who have actually started kind of coming back up. Uh, And I think a lot of people have been sensible about it. Uh, I always say as well to a lot of the locals here, it's the folks from the cities that really know how to abide by the rules. We've had it pretty easy. We don't really think about the two metre distancing because you're always about a mile and a half from people on Rasse. And, you know, it's not something we worry about as much. I I personally think that, you know, if you're coming up from the city, Mm -hmm. you're probably far more aware of the ways to properly wash your hands and mask wearing and distancing and all of that kind of stuff uh, too. So, so yeah, you know, at the start there was a bit of worry, but I think, yeah, generally people have been pretty good and followed the rules pretty well. That's good. That is good. And Kay, um, obviously you're in Edinburgh and the Edinburgh Festival was cancelled this year, which must have been quite weird, right? Yeah, it was such a blow. I mean, I think it was, it was almost inevitable. And, uh, you know, while we probably all suspected that it would happen for, to see the, to see them officially pull the plug um, was was really sad. Um, you know, I, I think most locals are guilty at some point of having a wee moan about the festival at the time, and it's so, it's too busy. You can't get a taxi. Everything takes longer to get from A to B. But actually, you know, 
there's such a buzz about the city at this time of year. It's not just a festival for international visitors, it's very much for the locals as well. Um, and it, it does just feel very strange. Almost just sometimes I have to remind myself that it is August um, because there's just there's just, there's just nothing um, about the city that, that is the way that it would normally be at this time. Um, and obviously the impact on the, the businesses, um, the hospitality and tourism businesses is massive. Um, you know, all the venues and, and just all of the wee touch points where people would have been um, visiting attractions and staying in local accommodation, taking trips um, into the Highlands and, and stuff like that. So it's just really, it's surreal uh, to see it like this, to be honest. Uh, and it is, it's a huge loss to the city, but I absolutely understand why the decision was was taken. But um, yeah, it's, it is really, really disappointing nonetheless. And are things starting to pick up now? They are picking up slightly um, during lockdown because I do live, you know, within walking distance of the city centre. I had walked up um, to the Royal Mile and through the city centre a couple of times. And it was, I mean, there was one day that I walked up the Royal Mile and I didn't see another person. And that was just so strange. Um, I actually stood up on the castle Esplanade and I was the only person (laughs) up there. And I thought, this will never you know, I really soaked it in because I thought I will never see my city like this again. Um, and it was great being able to take some photos without people in the way, but it w- it just wasn't the city that as I know it. Um, so seeing it again s- since then, I-, I can see the difference. It has picked up a bit. Um, there's probably more people travelling to and from their work as well, but there are tourists around. Um, the weekend that, um, or the, the week that the pubs and restaurants reopened for dining and drinking outside. I had been away on a trip and I came back and I was like, whoa, everything looks really strange. And it was just the the cafe culture had really resumed again. And that weekend I sat outside having lunch and wine with my friend and I was like, I feel like I'm on holiday in the city centre. You know, it was just, and the sun was shining. It was just so strange. So it's really nice seeing the businesses that have reopened. Um, Some of them have adapted really well and managed to kind of power through. But there are obviously a number of places that still aren't open. Um, And, you know, I don't know if some of them will. I don't know if some of the businesses will survive. So, um, yeah, it's it's been really hard to see that. But it is nice, uh, on the other hand, to see things picking up. And things a bit busier. So, but but do you guys find you know since since places have started to open up a little bit and life is starting to resume and you know maybe you've been out to the pub for that first you know post lockdown beer or whatever <laughs> do you do you feel like there's a new appreciation for it are you are you like loving every minute of that or are you still feeling a little bit apprehensive? No, I think um, I was definitely um, in the overexcited. <laughs> mode (laughs) I definitely fell into that category Um, you know obviously um, being cautious (laughs) while I was doing it but it was definitely everything was like a heightened experience Um, you know that first pint or sitting outside having lunch with a friend um, the first road trip that I went Mm -hmm. on and just driving over the the fourth bridge well the Queen's Ferry Cross and the new bridge um, over to five, I mean, it felt like I was, you know, it was like the great escape. I was finally leaving the city, um, <laughs> and and just seeing the the scenery, and not even like the most dramatic scenery, but just seeing these rural areas. It was just 
I, I, I just had the biggest smile on my face the whole time. So it, it was definitely, I was just in a kind of state of excitement and like, oh, where, like, you know, where, where can I go and what can I do? Um, and that's kind of, <laughs> the novel is worn off a bit now. Um, and things are kind of settling down into the new normal. Um, and I've kind of calmed down a bit. Um, <laughs> but I do think that, you know, most people will, will agree that I think we'll all just have appreciation for, for, you know, the small things and for time out, well, for certainly people in the city, you know, for that time outdoors or out with the city or being able to spend time with friends and family again, um, visit people that have got new babies and all of these wee moments that you really missed when you were kind of in solitude. So I think we'll all take that away from this experience for sure. And Callum, you were saying Rissé hasn't really changed that much during lockdown, but I guess the biggest change would be the ferry, right? Um, how was kind of leaving for the first time? Yeah, it was it was strange. I mean, the thing is, I mean, Rassi, it, it was very it was very odd during the whole lockdown, and that you know, you, there there just wasn't anyone around. It was it was a bit like it was the same where I was going to a lot of locations and and kind of marveling the fact that there just wasn't people around. <laughs> In fact, the funny the thing that really solidified it was one day I was out walking, I looked up and I saw the a plane flying over for the first time in about two weeks. And it felt like I was in some sort of post-apocalyptic movie because, you know, <laughs> Rassi's a direct line, you know, over to, you know, Boston and, you know, transatlantic flights. And I was like, oh, a, a, look, a plane. <laughs> Do you remember them? <laughs> uh, 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 it, yeah. And I mean, so, you know, there there was, but I will say, like I say, compared to everyone else, we've had it very easy. But yeah, get, getting onto the ferry for that first time when I went up to Orkney, it was bizarre. And we pulled into Brora, which is um, kind of halfway up on the drive up to the top, up to John O'Groats, really, where you get the ferry. And I remember getting out of the car for the first time and I had to put a, put a mask on. And the shop here, our local shop, uh, has just really been doing uh, deliveries. You pick up boxes of supplies. So we didn't have to go into the shops and stuff like that as much. So I put on my mask kind of for the first time to go into the co-op. There was no one around. It's the middle of, you know, start of uh, getting to the start of August, no one around. And uh, as I get out of the car, two ambulances fly by with like the, all the sirens blaring. And I was like, this is, I was like, this is just, I'm just in a film from uh, the post of August. This is, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, was, I was thinking, imagine if I'd stepped out of some sort of TARDIS from one year ago previously, I would have just, I would have gone mad wondering what on earth had gone on. Yeah, you know? unrecognisable, um, right? Yeah, it's so, so strange. But that, that first moment of getting onto the ferry and then getting off, it was, it was very, very strange. I think that's definitely the longest amount of time I've gone without, leaving the island at all you know in any way so uh yeah I, another moment that i'll really remember um forever hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
so we're going to have a quick look at what next for Scotland and in particular sort of like what next for traveling in Scotland. So um, to start with, um, Callum, you kind of briefly mentioned that you'd been to Orkney and Kay, you've uh, obviously done a trip up to Shetland. Um, do you have any kind of other future travel plans? Are you getting out? Are you going elsewhere? Um, um, at the moment, and I usually, as a kind of rule of thumb, have about three different trips to look forward to at any time. Um, but kind of given the current situation, I've not I've been trying not to plan too far in advance uh, and kind of take things a bit slowly. So uh, my next trip will be a wild camping trip. So I'm, I'm going to be working in partnership with a, a new start company um, that are going to be hiring out camping equipment for people that are coming to Scotland. So cool. um, they are giving me a box of camping gear and I can just choose the destination, which is really exciting. So um, there is a spot up near Arisig that I have my eye on. So um, it involves a bit of a hike um, to an abandoned village in a bothy on the beach, which sounds amazing. So um, that will hopefully happen soon, weather dependent. Um, and then my next trip that I have planned is to the Isle of Arran in October. Um, it's an amazing wee island mm. um, and I'm staying on a llama farm <laughs> in a wooden barrel <laughs> glamping pod. <laughs> so, yay! So, yeah, it sounds like a great place and... Um, like we're hiring a wood-fired hot tub and a wood-fired pizza oven for for the night, which they provide on site. So um, that should be really fun. So yeah, a couple of trips in the pipeline. Um, and and to be honest, there's actually the availability for places um, in the next few weeks has been quite low. Mm-hmm. Um, the Scottish staycation trend is in full swing, um, yeah, yeah. Which, which is amazing because there's just so many people that probably didn't travel Scotland before or that had overseas adventures planned um, that are now um, exploring their own backyard, which is great. Um, and it's also great for the accommodation providers and all the wee businesses um, to see uh, this um, increase in business again. Do you think it could lead to a different appreciation of the country that Scottish people are in, in in terms of you talked about that kind of moment when you were 22 and getting to the Highlands for the first time and you know falling in love and never looking back do you think that could happen for lots of people now? A hundred percent it's something that I was actually thinking about recently um my inbox on Facebook and Instagram and like my personal one has just been like absolutely inundated with messages from people like from school um, friends of friends, old workmates and people that traditionally would just not really go on holiday in Scotland mm. are now getting in touch with me for advice, um, which is amazing. And I'm seeing a lot of people's photos crop up and um, echoing the kind of thoughts that I had when I first visited these places. So, I mean, that's definitely another really positive thing that's coming out all of this is that I can see so many more people are, are appreciating um, what's on their own doorstep. So, and hopefully, even when we can, um, or, or I mean, we can travel internationally at the moment, but a lot of people are, mm, are still mm. choosing not to. Um, I, I would like to think and I would hope that the Scottish sca- staycation trend will, will stick around um, for, for a lot longer. Absolutely. And uh, Callum, have you got any kind of uh, trips planned or coming up? Yeah, I, uh, I, it was mentioned in that uh, very long introduction as to what it is I do, but one of the things I do is uh, I make uh, short videos, documentaries, YouTube videos and stuff. And I've had a long time, a list um, of locations that I wanted to go and visit. And handily, a lot of them are in in Scotland. So I'm going to try and take this opportunity to do that. One of the, the big ones that I've wanted to visit for a long time is Swona. Um, Swona and Stroma are uh, two islands uh, between basically the Orkney Islands and the top of Scotland, and they are both uh, abandoned. They were abandoned in the, the 19, uh, I think it was 1950s and 1960s. 
uh, and they are amazing. They're just kind of in situ. All the, a lot of the houses are left with bits and pieces still in them. Um, very kind of poignant places, and I've been wanting to make a film about that for mm -hmm. some time. Um, we've been talking loads about islands, but there's another place down uh, near Edinburgh um, called Yester Castle as well. And uh, it's got a very famous Goblin Hall, or Goblin Hall, which is <laughs> an underground subterranean hall, essentially. Uh, and that has, again, been on the list for a long time, too. So I've got a lot of very odd, unusual places. Um, the one that I'm hoping to go into the next couple of weeks is a place called Grunyard Island. Now, Grunyard Island is uh, not a place most tourists would visit. It's famous because uh, the government tested uh, anthrax on the island in the 1950s and 60s. So, so I wouldn't... I would recommend a staycation uh, there. You know, there's no <laughs> battles or llamas to like stay with yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. on that island. Yeah, but it's a uh, don't, it's, don't it's start a, a pizza oven there. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Um, but it, it's uh, absolutely fascinating place, and I've been wanting to make a kind of uh, small kind of video on it for a long time. So yeah, my I've got a very eclectic mix of uh, places that I need to <laughs> tick off the list. But uh, I've got a I've got a uh, a small camper van, and I do a lot of wild camping and stuff. So I'm quite keen to just kind of get out into the hills generally, though. Um, you know, the, the, you know, it's it's just that feeling of of going somewhere that you haven't been before, or places that you have been before, and just kind of like camping out, reading a book, just getting away from it from a bit. I mean, I know that living on Rassi, I've had it easier than most, but um, yeah, it's just that feeling of kind of exploring somewhere a bit new. I, I'm kind of looking forward to that a lot. Definitely. And we sort of talked a bit about. Uh, I think Kay, you kind of mentioned about um, lots of places being booked up actually and and a big scottish staycation trend uh is there any kind of like schemes or incentives to try and like drive people um travelers to come back and is there any kind of you know are there any whispers about when you know people coming back from abroad have people started coming in from europe um i mean there, there's definitely a, a lot of marketing efforts at the moment um attracting people to come on staycations i know that there was Quite a bit of budget allocated um, in attracting people to come up from from England. Um, I'm not too sure about international marketing at the moment. Um, obviously, with the there still being travel restrictions in place for North America, um, and we, we just don't know when that that's going to change. So it's quite hard to say what what's going to happen. Um, I would like to think that when the restrictions are lifted, we're going to see a bit of a surge here, and and we'll have all the North Americans that were meant to come this year plus. The ones that we're we're planning to come next year. So, um, but I, I'm not I'm not too sure in terms of specific activity um, to bring people in. I'm not. There's not anything I'm, I'm aware of at the moment. But I'm sure there will be there will be things going on in the background. Um, I'm not sure. Is uh, Callum? Do you know of anything that's happening? There's there's been a few. Um, I mean, certainly there's been quite a few government schemes and stuff like that to provide uh, some you know financial assistance to to small businesses mm -hmm. and stuff. But uh, I definitely echo. I think I certainly think that Visit Scotland's been doing a lot of stuff about you know staycations coming up and visiting. I mean, if you have searched anything about Scotland, you'll probably notice you'll get quite a lot of Visit Scotland adverts popping up on YouTube and stuff like that, telling you you know Scotland needs you come come visit you know go out and see and stuff. Uh, and I think you know we've already talked about it a fair bit, but there's. I think there's been a really good response from people in the UK generally um, to exploring all parts of places that are near to them uh, that they maybe hadn't done before. Uh, so I think, you know, certainly it's, it's looking promising. Um, I think a, a lot of businesses have managed to kind of weather this quite well. I mean, the whiskey industry was all, you know, we were already 
not not struggling, but there was some difficulties. There's been a tariff that's been um, imposed on Scotch whiskey or single malt specifically by America as part of this trade war that's going on. Um, and then obviously this whole shutdown's not come at a great time and stuff. But uh, I think a, a lot of businesses are, are starting to kind of come out of it. There's the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, uh, providing things kind of slowly back, open back up again. Mm-hmm. And for uh, the distillery specifically for you guys on Rassi, uh, it'll be a big year for you because obviously the whiskey is going to be ready. Do you think that's going to be celebrated extra hard this year because <laughs> <laughs> because we've missed out? Yeah, I need a yeah. We could do with a we could do with a, a new bottle of whiskey this year. I think we're all looking forward to that uh, somewhat. <laughs> uh, I, we were quite lucky in that. Um, Last year, 2019, we launched our gin, uh, uh, technically the very first legal spirit, you know, to come from there on. So that happened last year. And thank goodness, of course, the the lockdown didn't happen then. This year, our whiskey is going to be ready in the next few months. So it'll be Christmas of this year before it's really ready. And again, it's like, well, luckily it hadn't happened next year because that's when the the big springtime is going to be the big launch of our um, kind of core release because that's when we're going to have enough spirit ready, essentially, that we can start bottling it. So um, we were quite lucky this year with it. Uh, everything's still going to be released in time. You can still pre-order our whiskey. There's a few couple hundred bottles left um, and we can have it ready and dispatched. We're also very lucky in the fact that we distill everything on Rassi. We mature all of our casks, all of our battles on the island, and we bottle everything here too. So we were uniquely placed to essentially bunker down, get ready, prepare ourselves and then, and then get ready for dispatching and stuff like that. But certainly mm. in three years time, there is basically going to be a gap where our production has been reduced because we actually had to, you know, uh, uh, suspend production for a little while. Um, mm. That's the problem with whiskey is that you're kind of planning for three, five, ten years down the line in that way. But uh, yeah, I am really looking forward to the whiskey now. It's been a long year, so I don't think we're going to have a... We can't have a huge party, but, you know, I think we're going to maybe have a local sort of socially distant tasting. Um, And then next year, when we have like a core product, uh, when we have a lot more stock ready, the the core releases, we're calling it. um, I think, yeah, it's going to be a big launch, uh, providing we can do it. We had a launch for the gin here last year. It was fantastic. We had a band up and everything. So I am uh, I'm holding out for that. now. (laughs) It's going to be hopefully the weather will be as good as it is now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cheers to that, you guys. Cheers to that. that. I think we all need a dram after this year. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds amazing. So it's been lovely having you both join us. Um, uh, It's been an amazing conversation. I really, really want to go to Scotland as soon as possible. Oh, you guys, you're making me feel homesick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's a good job you're going back next week, Danielle. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, huge thanks to Kay. Uh, you can catch her blog um, at the chaoticscot.com uh, and uh, also the Facebook group. Uh, if you just remind us what that was called again. It's um, it's the Dreaming of Scotland Facebook group. It's, it's uh, Dreaming of Scotland, the, the Chaotic Scot travel community. That's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but yeah, that sounds uh, like a great place to share all your Scottish travel memories. And uh and thanks to Callum as well. Um, you can uh, have uh, sort of check out the Rissé Distillery uh, at rissédistillery.com. That's Rissé with uh, R-A-A-C. 
Is that right? Yeah, R-A-A-S-A-Y. Distillery.com. So huge thanks to both of you guys. And uh, yeah, Callum has tons and tons of projects, um, which to quote himself, uh, we'd be here all day if we directed <laughs> you to all of them. But you could, if you Google Callum Brasset, you'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll, you'll come across some of his amazing work. The bottomless um, pit of weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for joining us, guys. Um, can't wait to talk more Scottish adventures with you at some point soon. So if you fancy a trip to Scotland yourself after listening to this episode, our DKI Went to Scotland guide is now available. Whether you want to see Edinburgh's famous streets, take awe-inspiring hikes in the Highlands or sample the odd wee dram, or gin, of course, if you're not into whiskey, your DK Eyewitness Travel Guide makes sure that you experience all that Scotland has to offer. Find it in all good retailers or on Amazon via the link in our episode description. So on the next episode of Where To Go, we will be crossing the Atlantic and visiting the USA National Parks, uh, which should be really, really fun, quite different to this. Um, but for now, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, again, huge thanks to all of our guests and Danielle uh, today uh, discussing all things Scotland. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank you, James. Where To Go was produced by the team at DKR Witness and presented by Danielle Watt and James Atkinson. For more information about DKI Witness, follow us on social media at DKI Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.